What is up, Brad fans? Welcome to this, another politics episode, an episode for those of you who are into the science of politics, the political sciences, if you will, especially focusing on Canada and the U.S., as we normally do. Uh, I am joined, of course, uh, by the three members of the regular ordinary voter, taxpayer, ordinary guy panel. Uh, and we were still in the holiday spirit, one of us maybe a little bit more so than the others, as he made some off-color jokes. So, you know, I am too lazy to edit all those out, so be warned. Be warned. We're also too lazy, as this was the holidays, we recorded this on the first Sunday of January, to really have a, a dedicated theme or structure, but being that it is a New Year's show, we did a hodgepodge of looking back at the year, uh, winners and losers, uh, Rudy Giuliani's best moments, all of these things, um, our look back at lessons that could be learned from last year brought us into a heavy conversation of Alberta, the Alberta government, uh, some of their recent uh, troubles with travel, uh, but also just in general the approach of some populist sort of governments that got into power and um, then tended to maybe not handle the pandemic as well, or maybe this highlights some things that people are maybe saying, hey, maybe this isn't what we want, but that's just my opinion. Uh, we also touched on sort of the opposite side of the spectrum and, you know, the federal liberals in Canada and, you know, are they going to get the support that they expect from their spend-heavy approach? And will there be a federal election upcoming in Canada? Uh, spoiler alert, we all said yes. Uh, anywho, uh, like I said, then we did some winners and, and losers and Rudy Giuliani's best moments. So all in all, it was fun. Uh, enjoyed it. Always love talking to these guys um, about politics. Now, uh, new announcements for the show this year, we have an email to bradforyou at gmail.com. If you send us an email, I'll read it on the show. Uh, we also have a way that you can send us voice messages, which I will also play on the show. So for that, you can go to our website, tobradforyou.wordpress.com. There is a link on the homepage to our SpeakPipe messenger service. So you can also go directly to speakpipe.com slash tobradforyou, uh, and you can leave us a message. As always, Twitter and Instagram are also available to you, uh, at TubeRad for you. Um, and please rate, subscribe, comment, wherever you're getting your podcasts. All of that really helps. Uh, we're hoping to interact with you all more in this new year. Um, so yeah, reach out any way you want. Speakpipe.com slash TubeRad for you. Leave us a message. TubeRad for you at gmail.com. Write us a message. At to brad for you on twitter and instagram leave us a message like our posts comment all that and like i said you can always rate subscribe wherever you get your podcasts help us out with that here you go uh an, an interesting chat on politics with my good friends from back home in alberta Well, gentlemen, Happy New Year. We're uh, joined again by all three members of the regular, ordinary dudes, the reg the very uh, normal voters, the citizens that the politicians want to keep happy. Am I right? Coleman up in Edmonton in the north. Coleman, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a, a frequent taxpayer. 
and a voter, and I'm happy to be on the show. <laughs> As always. And Scott and Steve in the South in Calgary. Gentlemen, how you doing? Uh, doing well. Thanks for uh, having us on. And uh, yeah, I'm going to pay my taxes pretty soon. They're, uh, you know, corporate, Jan- you pay it when you can. January 1, just, you know, we just rolled into January. So you better start, uh, better start getting your affairs in order now. Now's the time. Steve, what's going on with you? Hold on. Is it a new year? Ah. <laughs> Are you still in know. the holiday haze? I don't know how these days just pass me by. It's a new year, 2021. My God. That's a good feeling. And uh, uh, for sure, they're going to extend the, the tax deadline. Don't you think, Scott? Aren't you? Are you banking on that? Uh, not for my little corporation. No, the uh, I got a few calls from the CRA saying like, "Hey, when are you gonna pay that?" And everyone tells me like, "No, it's a big scam." But they're not asking to get paid in bitcoins or iTunes gift cards, and they know to the penny how much I owe them. So I think it's actually them. But uh, <laughs> pretty soon, pretty soon, I'll uh, I'll fire them off a check. Oh, speaking speaking of taxes, if anyone in any sort of upcoming federal election, if we have one this year, wants to campaign on a uh, Serb uh, tax forgiveness platform, they will one hundred percent have my vote. <laughs> could be a number of yeah, it could be a number of lucrative platforms to run on. In that sense, I know a number of people that might be that might be in on that. But hey, let's say this is a a, a brand new year for this. You know, we're going to continue doing these two bread for politics politics shows let's say let's hope that we're all employed for the whole run this year eh so far so good starting off on a good front taking it day by day i am vaguely unemployed but uh well you just ruined it i thought we had a good streak going it was like one day (laughs) yeah sorry no pretty soon someone will call i got a text today someone looking for uh, some work so it'll come all right. I know Scott's we'll, probably sitting at home eating cheesies, collecting government money. Just makes me sick. Yeah, yeah pretty the much. Worst, the worst kind of Albertan. Um, we'll leave it very vague as to what Scott does for work too. So, who knows? Yeah, yeah don't don't <laughs> plug your don't plug yeah. your business on a podcast or anything. <laughs> no run. No run for Scott. Yeah, yeah someone me looking contract. for no work. <laughs> Yeah, NorthstarCalgary.ca. Check it out, people. Find whoa, us. Whoa, whoa, I'm going to bleep kitchens in town. I'm going to bleep that in post. These are for all right. Custom furniture coverings. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I need a plastic cover for my couch. Are you the guy to talk to, Scott? I don't uh, want to say why I need that cover, but I need it. Supply and install. Free testing on site. <laughs> Free testing. Ooh, <laughs> lovely. I'll come into your house and jizz on your couch. <laughs> <laughs> this is I feel like we're all just gonna get cut here i think no 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 no. this stays in this stays I, in i walk if that jizz on a couch joke is cut <laughs> uh, excuse yeah. me well as you can see we're all still in the the holiday haze that that moment you know between christmas and new year's well, you don't really know what day it is. Now we've actually gone into the new year. We're a couple days in. So let's sharpen it up here, fellas. And we'll do kind of a a bit of a hodgepodge of all the uh, the tropes of the new year's show. You know, the look back, the, the winners and losers, the best moments, that kind of thing. And I'll start it off with a uh, my kind of 
thoughts that I'll put to you guys about what I thought the lesson learned from 2020 could be because obviously it was a weird year. Um, And to me, the lesson should have been, we can argue whether it it will sink in, and I guess we won't know till till we have a bit of time behind us, a little bit of space between this us and the pandemic. My lesson learned um, for 2020 should have been that maybe we want to kind of invest in some nice, uh, robust safety systems. Some of the things that I think government is meant to do, healthcare, keeping their citizens from going, you know, into the depths of poverty, keeping us uh, buffered from these disasters that, hey, turns out they, they turn up. Turns out they're real. It can happen to everybody on the planet. So that's kind of my look. And I'm thinking about, you know, some of the governments that seem to kind of drop the ball. And I feel like there is a common thread of places that kind of ran on the populist anti-elite, anti-government, yet they're still part of government uh, platforms. And these platforms that appealed to nothing but rhetoric and sort of um, talking points, but kind of lacked substance in what they were doing. Obviously, Trump is is the big one. I look at uh, Boris Johnson in the UK, but I will say even closer to home in, in Alberta, the government that they have now in Alberta ran on this stereotype of what Albertans are, truck driving, conservative folks. Uh, but I think that the, the platform that has un, un, been unveiled over the last couple of years of, you know, of a pretty conservative project, a pretty ideologically conservative product, project that takes money from public uh, institutions tries to privatize it and does very little to uh, take revenue on the tax side. I'm curious as to how you guys feel it's turned out, and uh, I guess looking forward, can they continue with this project uh, in the face of you know the year that was 2020? Anyone want to jump in? Uh, <clears throat> you're talking about, uh, well, specifically the Alberta UCP party. Can they continue along? Or you're looking for the lesson, or do you want to talk about the, the party itself? And, uh, uh, good call, Steve. Uh, I guess I, I left it very vague there. But let's start then with the, with the lesson. Do you agree with uh, my thought that the lesson should be that, you know, a little more uh, focus, a little more emphasis on you know collective action in terms of the things that we pay for, the things that we should be investing in, uh, is the lesson learned? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, th- I just think it's about being proactive, right? I, I think it being able to plan. I feel like that transcends a little bit of uh, political kind of ideology, and um, yeah, I mean, I. I don't think that the UCP um, is alone in the fact that they were caught off guard by 2020. 100%, 100%. Um, but there's there were governments around the world that just showed that they had no plan, no desire to plan. I think the United States is the biggest example of a government that actually threw a plan in the garbage, a government that actually had a plan. And a government who, honestly, we all kind of expect is going to uh, kind of take a a global 
role of leadership. Be the leader, yeah. Uh, up until the last four years, I guess. And they they insulated themselves. They they uh, didn't take that leadership role. They they didn't kind of enact any of the good work they'd done in previous administrations, which probably could have. I mean, realistically, who knows what would have happened. Um, but it, it probably could have stopped this pandemic in its tracks had they taken a similar outlook on uh, the pandemic as, as what they learned from, say, Ebola and all these other kind of near pandemics, I guess you could say. Um, so, yeah, and then we're talking about the UCP, no, I don't think that they are. They, I don't think that they're in a good position moving forward. I mean, they've got a couple years left, I suppose, and who knows how long the memory will be. But not only did they kind of approach the pandemic lately, especially in a haphazard way, which other governments did as well. I'm not going to say they're on an island on this, but to me, they it it goes well beyond their ideological. Uh, motivations, which I think they ran on, and that was their platform, and they got voted in on that platform in terms of cutting taxes, um, and you know, through austerity or through cuts, uh, limiting spending on public spending. I mean, that's basically what they got they got voted in for. And had they simply done that and just kind of done it in a relatively boring way, it would have been, you know, I, I think people would have been more or less happy with the job they've done, but they've just been in an inconsistent uh, leadership void in terms of, uh, in, in every respect, uh, a downright embarrassment uh, to the province of Alberta, which <clears throat> like you said, Brad, we're not, we're not uh, I mean, there's segments of every province who are, have this kind of redneck streak or whatever you want to call it. But um, I think that Alberta will show that that's not, representative of, of a majority in this province and yes maybe we lean conservatively but uh not when met with incompetence on the other side so that's what i think yeah the uh i guess i think i guess i was a little vague on my opening statements and you actually tied it together better than than i thought i did but um my point was with the with the ucp in particular was was that there is like they did run on this stereotype of alberta and I think that there are they are finding that most Albertans aren't actually like that. You know, there's a lot of polling that that has been done on this question of is Alberta really as conservative as as the image it's portrayed, and it's not, especially on social issues, it's not. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, I was trying to tie the two points together because I think that the ideology that they're running on is a very conservative one and it resembles some places in, in America. Uh, and my worry is that it guts the things that you need in order to actually deal with large social problems, you know, pandemics, uh, climate change, all of this thing. So I'm wondering if there's going to be a realization, especially among Albertans that voted for them, that like, hey, this isn't actually what we, you know, wanted. This isn't who we are. We didn't really want, you know, park delisted. We didn't want coal mining opened up again in places. We didn't want fights with doctors and all of the other things that, you know, they started all of these fires and were unable to put out any of them and then got hit with a disaster. So of course, their handling of the pandemic alone, they are they are not alone on that. But they kind of created this, you know, firestorm with the with the approach that they've been taking and going in this approach of we're doing this 
bar nothing, you know, can't tell us what, you know, we're not going to change course at all. So I'm wondering if that, you know, makes people that voted for them change course and maybe they have to tone it back. Uh, Coleman? I'll, I think talking about the UCP specifically, I don't know what their, I will call it the second wave response to COVID. I don't know exactly who they're playing to with this. Because like, you, you look at what they did is they delayed to keep the, they delayed putting restrictions in to keep the economy open, but then they eventually locked down anyway. And they closed down these businesses. Um, so now you have a situation where people on the left, like NDP voters, don't like them because they didn't do enough. Um, PC voters, like the traditional more of a center-right voters, probably don't like them as well because they didn't do enough. But then you have the the Wild Rose far-right voter that they were kind of playing to in the, the election leading up. They think they've done way too much, so they don't like them. Like, I don't know who they're actually playing to. Like, they've... They're lucky that the federal government has been here to pick up a lot of the slack as far as COVID response goes with like wage subsidies and things like that, because they haven't done anything there. It's well, and we find out that they left a lot of money on the table. Yeah. Just a lot just of stick it, money on the table. Just, just stick it to the liberals for reasons unknown. And then go out and say that Alberta's not getting its fair share. It's like, well, we were offered now, in their money. defense, I think a lot of that money would have gone to low-income workers. So yeah. they really need to stick it to the poor also, not that's, just the feds. That's true. Who that's very have, true. Who would have paid taxes on it, right? Like, it's not just that it was a, whatever, a, a 400% ROI just to, to start with, but then you're creating money... Uh, that you pay people and they pay income taxes on it in your province at a rate of 10%. So uh, it's insane that money, they would have been able to double dip on that money. It's like being paid for two jobs while doing one. Like it's crazy that they they didn't want to do that. I mean, I, th- I think strictly the answer, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 100% in my mind, the answer they did it is for um, to make their balance sheet look better. And it, it could have been also to stick it to Trudeau, but it's either reason is a terrible reason to to do that. I think right? I think they're I, I agree that they're probably doing it to make their balance sheet look better, but it's gonna be a disaster anyway. We've seen a lot of governments kind of kind of ignore the deficits that's coming because it's gonna be huge. So say they didn't take that money. We already gave these corporate tax or corporate tax breaks out to people that are already going to make us run a huge deficit. We've talked about that earlier, how they gave huge tax cuts and really didn't, they were leaving us in the same hole that the NDP were leaving us in that they hated before. So I just don't know who they're playing to at all here. It doesn't make any sense. They're kind of, because you see right-wing governments in the states, especially the state level that are like pushing individual freedoms and keeping the economy open. They're going all in on that strategy. It's like, but in like, Canada, they're trying to walk this fine line that's just pissing everyone off on both sides. It's just, it's boggling to me. It just doesn't yeah, make any sense at all. Certainly the optics of saying we don't want to have $100 million extra expenditure after we just invested $1.5 billion in a pipeline that is almost certainly not going to get built with the incoming administration. And certainly, uh, you know, Kenny at one point called some American law, like a moron or, you know, something like that. And I was like, this is not exactly the charm offensive that's going to get your pipeline built. So maybe insulting the intelligence of the people whose support you need to not have completely blown $1,500 million might not be the way to go about it. 
But uh, like Brad, you asked, you know, can they continue in this way? And I think, I mean, should they continue in this way? No, but can they and will they? It seems almost certainly that they will in that, you know, I think they kind of came in and launched sort of a big public relations war with the doctors and the nurses, which probably wasn't a great strategy politically to begin with. But then certainly I would have thought when the pandemic hit, they would have been like, okay, we're just going to lay off the fight with the doctors. You know, we're going to, we're going to at least kind of just tone down the rhetoric. And they didn't really do any of that. And I thought politically, like, I don't understand Jason Kenney was supposed to come in as this very politically savvy figure. And I think at least just toning down your rhetorical attacks on doctors during the pandemic, when like doctors approval ratings are pretty high at the moment, I think was was crazy. Uh, and certainly with their refusal to put the restrictions in place, you know, it doesn't jive with their ideology, so they don't want to do it. Even when they finally did it, Kenny would only talk about the effects on businesses and made virtually no mention of like the effect of COVID on people's health or not seeing their grandparents or things like that. But even when the writing was on the wall that every day the case count goes up, goes up, goes up, we all know the restrictions are coming. They still refused to do it until it seemed that there was just absolutely no option left, despite the fact that everyone who knows anything about this stuff would say every week matters, every day matters. You put these restrictions in place earlier, it's a lot easier to get your case numbers down when you're starting from a much lower point. But I think they're just, it's ideology above all, uh, for the most part, with this government. And um, I think in addition for the 100 million bucks, not only did they not want it on their balance sheet, but they didn't want to have to say, thanks, Justin, you know, thanks Trudeau for bailing out our frontline workers. So no, we'll just, we'll let them starve instead. I'm sorry. Maybe I got, maybe I got the numbers wrong. Was it not uh, a billion dollars to a Forex, a billion dollars? What I'd seen is they left 300 million on the table. So they would have had to put in a hundred million to get 300 million, which mm. they opted not to do because that would have gone to poor people. And you know, yeah, they're poor mm -hmm. for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's because they're bad people. <laughs> there you yeah. go. There you go. Brad, you're talking, Scott. Brad, you're talking well, about like the, the lesson we, we learned from this. It's like, if you want to, because this is our first pandemic in a while, we've, and we've kind of gotten part way through it. It's still terrible. But if we've learned anything, if you want to keep these economies going when a lot of people aren't working, the only real viable option is to pump money into the lower class. That's the only way to keep it going. If you give money to the top hat, they're just going to save it. So we're talking about yeah. if we need to have like strong social nets and stuff like that, it's like, absolutely. Because these governments want to talk about free market, but they're not willing to go far enough to be like, we're going to let these people starve on the street. Mm -hmm. So unless, unless you're willing to do that, then yeah, you absolutely need, we need to have strong safety nets in place. Like it's the only possible solution to these problems. Yeah. And I guess that's my, my thought, my thought process was, you know, like some of these ideologies just seem very hollow in terms of what they actually offer people and i mean you could we could we could discuss you know running you know running super ideologically on the left and 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 stuff as well and that i think that would be equally terrible but we don't you know we we haven't seen that and i don't think that that exists uh really on the political you know i can't think of a country that's gone super left well i mean china we could that's a different not, right? that's a different kind it's of a left, different though. Totally different thing. I'm thinking of like, you know, like the, the Trudeau liberals, it's not really, you know, hard left. And yes, they kind of play to the camera with some of the social issues. 
um, and try to be really progressive and stuff there. And it's kind of nauseating at times because I don't think they mean it either. You know, it's, it's political theater. Um, but it doesn't seem to have the consequences that running on this really strong ideology of, uh, say, the UCP or the Republicans in, in the States uh, or the conservatives in the UK seems to have for a lot of people. And I wonder if there is, because um, this this problem of the pandemic is it's, yes, we're getting through it and stuff with vaccines and whatnot. And, and, and let's be fair, like, I don't think anyone would have any government, you know, say it was Rachel Notley or it was Harper in the, you know, in the federal specific, no one's going to be saved by this. There was always going to be calamity. There was always going to be trouble. We could argue lockdown, don't lockdown. Like, it was going to be bad. You know, it, there was going to be something. So it's a matter of like, what's going to do the best for the, mo- the most good for most people. And I'm just seeing in my mind that this sort of, these guys that came in on the populist sort of anti-elite uh, scapegoating sort of narratives and then had policies that were really kind of about, yeah, like you said, cutting taxes for, you know, corporations and, and high wage incurners, high, you know, income earners uh, and nothing, uh, and nothing for the, the safety net, nothing for the majority of people. I, I just, it seems to have failed miserably. Can I uh, quickly touch on something that Coleman said? And I I agree with you, Brad, as well. But Coleman, you're talking about the target audience for the UCP in in how they've both handled the pandemic and perhaps kind of just gone about their business in general. But um, the the thing is, is with with their target audience, I think they're trying to do this. And Brad, you talked about this lots last podcast, this... uh, cloud up every issue, rely on your base, rely on just a bunch of outrage and energy to to come to your side, use the rhetoric, and just let the fire kind of stoke. And that'll it'll come out on on your side of things. I mean, obviously, it didn't work for Trump, because he was defeated in a semi resoundingly kind of fashion. But um, <clears throat> Allegedly, yeah. Got to <laughs> keep myself out of the crosshairs of Giuliani here. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. Want, I don't want him coming over here and, and farting in my general direction. Um, you got to get but, a get a cover for your couch if Rudy comes over. No kidding. Yeah. I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> North Star couch covers. Uh, so the 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 point I'm trying to make is I I don't think it it works with the UCP either. I, I think they need to have a pretty uh, united vision in terms of how they're they're implementing their policy. And I think it has to be, I mean, if if there's one thing, perhaps Alberta is a conservative flavored place. Uh, I would go ahead and agree with that. But, um, you know, people here don't like uh, dishonesty. No one likes dishonesty. Mm-hmm. But people also don't like uh, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really leaked out a lot in the last few days when, uh, we have the MLAs in some cases uh, with inside of the uh, ministry with cabinet positions in Alberta who are going on vacation amidst the lockdown to Hawaii. I mean, Tracy Allard, who went to Hawaii as the minister in charge of vaccinating 
Alberta in charge of vaccines. She goes on vacation to Hawaii while we're in lockdown. This pisses everybody off. Mm-hmm. So this pisses people off on the left who are like, you know, who are going to be upset about mis- mistakes the UCP make regardless. It pisses off the UCP base because they've been asked to, to uh, and I mean, just kind of like their moderate base, which I think is their biggest voting contingent mm-hmm. um, in Calgary and, and some in Edmonton as well and across the province. But um pisses them off because they've been asked to make sacrifices that they agree with. But then uh, that kind of, if I'm making a sacrifice and you're the, the leaders are blatantly rubbing that in our face, uh, that's, that doesn't go over well. And then even uh, Ezra Levant of the rebel popped on this and started tearing. Uh, yeah, that, was a plot to, that was a plot twist. I did not see coming. Totally. And so they, it pisses off every single corner of the province. And I mean, there was only one solution was to fire her, just fire her ass. It's not that, it's not that hard really, except, well, it could be that hard if a bunch of your ministers did it, which it seems like there's a lot of MLAs and and just to some extent it, it went across all parties, but it seemed like the UCP provincial uh, caucus was just terrible for just going on vacation willy nilly during the over the holidays, um, and so like they they have no direction. They're 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 trying to sh- make the scatter shot uh, w- without kind of like having any kind of united vision in their party, and they and they just assume that a they're going to skate on brand. And they're going to skate just on the confusion and chaos that they they are creating. And um, listen, Kenny, he's just not fit for a leadership role. Like you said, Brad, he's supposed to be this wily politician. And he might be in a secondary role. I, you know, I have my doubts based on what I've seen the last few years. But, um, you know, he, he's, he's just not a good leader. Um, and I think that's what it all comes down to. He's he's a terrible leader, and he he has no vision for for the province, and he's just kind of going about things day by day. The pandemic's just really a, a microcosm of his whole uh, of his of his government. It's just mm-hmm. it's, yeah, lighting uh, a bunch uh, of fires and and not being able to sham. Shambolic. That's the word of 2021. It's yeah, if I could shambolic. add on your, uh, just to say, you know, people really dislike the hypocrisy. I also think people really dislike that when all of this news came out, that all these MLAs and his cabinet minister had flown to Hawaii. And then he gives this press conference that is just the most weaselly excuse making performance of, you know, well, the airlines bad. would go out of business if our MLAs didn't fly to Hawaii. Those eight people and, didn't take that flight. Yeah. You know, the, the rules are not that clear. You know, how how are you supposed to read non-essential travel should be strictly avoided? Like how, you know, but it's a vacation, which is pretty essential because it's cold and snowy or now. some of them saying, well, I already paid for it. 
yeah, and you know, I only make $185,000 a year yeah. or something like that. So, and I mean, our vaccine minister, the, at that point, she the program was at about a quarter of the pace they were supposed to be at. So, I mean, she kind of blew it already. What was she going to do? Yeah. Stick some needles in arms herself? Like, just it took no accountability, no, I mean, uh, I think the easiest thing to do there as a leader is just say, okay, yeah, she's not out of the party, but sure, you're fired as a cabinet minister because you need to be held to a higher standard than, you know, average Joe on the street who did Christmas over Zoom instead of going Hawaii. So I think just the failure of leadership there in that specific press conference and his response to say there will essentially be no punishments whatsoever. And they all kind of release statements saying, you know, I really didn't think this through, which, you know, it's just I didn't think I would get caught. And now I did. And uh, but some of them did think it through by uh, making social media posts that allude to the fact that they're at home while they are not at home. Like, yeah, so that one was, dude. There was, one. there's two of them, Allard and another one, both made social media posts over the holidays with pictures of Alberta or them in Alberta talking about Alberta while they weren't there. And it's like, come on, there's no, there's no other way you're doing that. There's no other reason. Yeah, that, doing that. that one dude was on a ski hill saying how good it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I like what Kenny said is he's like, Something the effect of statistically, it's safer to fly to Hawaii right now than to be in a grocery store in Calgary. And it's Not like for the Hawaiians. Yeah, but it's like you're in charge of making the grocery store safe. Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? You There's a number of things we can break into on that. that I've created. Because um, it, it depends what risk you're talking about. If you're talking about personal risk of getting infected, yeah, maybe a grocery store is more. But if you're talking about bringing back another strain of the coronavirus to to Canada, uh, different well, risks. One dude, different that, risks. One dude, that one dude flew back from uh, the UK through the states to get around the travel ban that the federal government just put in. Yeah, it's all... Not good. And you're absolutely right, Steve. It's the hypocrisy and stuff. And I think it's the, and that's the other thing I think when I was saying, like, can they plow through with this? Can they continue with this? Because they've, that's what, that's been the strategy so far is, you know, fuck what anyone says. We're just going to keep plowing ahead. You know, whether it was people with the checkered uh, past of what they wrote about the residential schools being part of the curriculum, you know, whether it was election fraud, whether it was the war room debacle, whether, you know, they just plow ahead on this, like you said, Steve, skating on their brand. But anyway, we've, we've spent, I think an, enough on this. Let's shambolic. Shambolic. Yeah, shambolic. Yeah, it's, I think my prediction is Kenny will just keep plowing. Plow in Alberta, <laughs> all 2021. I think he's certainly got to be thanking his lucky stars that the election's two years away. Because yes. yeah. if the election was tomorrow, I think he'd be in real trouble. Yeah. Who knows? Um, because the the big oil rebound is just around the corner, folks. I'm pretty sure that's what I'm hearing. Based well, on, they've opened uh, up all the areas for coal. So that'll create, what, like a thousand jobs for some people in Coaldale? I don't know. <laughs> No all offense to Coldale, but Coldale. all of us in the the coal community are very excited about that. That's right. Mm -hmm. One, say, uh, a rising coal tide raises all coal ships. Very nice, and Coleman will be one of those ships. God um, willing. <laughs> yeah, you've already bought stock. I know. Um, 
All right, so then let's kind of, I guess, look at the other side quick here. We'll do a quick um, prediction for the future, and I want to go to the federal government of Canada and Trudeau because it's very much, like we said, the opposite of this. They've been spend, spend, spend. That's been their brand of, you know, we can do this. We have the, uh, you know, we, we can borrow. Um, they make the argument that the the time to borrow is now and that people need this money, people need to be uh taken care of and in their throne speech they even they didn't go as far as some people wanted but they did propose things like a national child care program that kind of thing um so that's the total other side of the spectrum and i think you you can you can equally criticize that whether the money was spent appropriately how it was rolled out all of that thing and moving forward what should be the uh consideration but looming over all of this, I feel, is the chance at an election, um, a spring election. I don't think the liberals personally will call an election in the heat of the pandemic, and we're, we're not out of it yet. Things are getting worse and will get worse before they get better. Um, so I don't think they're going to do anything in the winter. But mem- if I'm correct, they will have to um, propose a budget. So that could be the next moment in which the the government falls, and the budget will probably be a spend heavy budget. Uh, so we'll see. So I don't know. I guess what do you guys want to say uh, moving forward? If you want to make a yes or no, where are we? Are we going to have an election, or just speculate on what do you think the Liberals' approach uh, for the next year is going to be? Um, start with you, Scott. I'm definitely going to vote yes on an election. My bet would be late spring. I think once the vaccine program is really rolling and they can then say, "Okay, folks, looks like, you know, the worst of this pandemic is soon going to be behind us. And now let's make it a referendum on all the checks that we wrote to you. So if you like the checks, vote more of us. And I think uh, I think they'll win. Honestly, I think they'll win a majority. simply as i'd mentioned previously i think it helps living next to the shambolicness of all shambolic in the united states so then just to be able to say look how much better we did than them um i think will really will allow them essentially propel them to victory my guess is i'll try and orchestrate it so that someone else brings them down as opposed to saying we're just calling the election on strict opportunism saying we were you know trying to do this great budget for you and you know the other parties just wouldn't have it so you know i guess we have to we have to go to the polls because i think no one is really it just doesn't look great to kind of opportunistically call an election just when you think the time is right for you but it wouldn't be the first time in canadian history that's happened so well uh, even last year two provincial governments did that and were rewarded yeah and i think brunswick and bc i believe yeah called early elections to say hey, we're providing a competent pandemic response. Do you want more of this? And they both won bigger majorities. So yeah, um, yeah I think, I definitely think there will be a spring election. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I actually don't know now. Can they can they call it by themselves or do they need the NDP? Because in the, well, in they, the can, they can call one when they can call one whenever they want. No, I think that there is a fixed... I can't remember a fixed there election is a date fixed law. Election date, so the government would have to fall, or Justin Trudeau can go to the governor general and say, "I exactly. don't believe we can command the confidence of the house." And then the he governor can general ask the governor general to dissolve it. Yeah, 
and the governor general would then, as per the official rules, would have to go to the other party, the other leaders and say, do you think you can form a coalition that, you know, can command the confidence of the House, which obviously the liberals being the middle party, the conservatives have no one to go to. The NDP has no one to go to. So they essentially on their own could orchestrate an election, which is why our fixed election law is a bit of a joke. Yeah, but uh, I mean, so they would have to, that would be pretty weaselly of them to do that though, right? Because it, it wouldn't be on the non-confidence of the UC or not the UCP, the CP, CCP or the NDP. It would be based on the liberals' non-confidence in themselves, which is actually just a veil for their no, uber confidence. There in was a, I was I was watching uh, CBC, the National, and the Power and Politics panel, uh, mm-hmm. and they proposed one of them proposed a scenario like a you know just a this is what you could say you know to the public is that uh we've spent so much already on this we feel we need a mandate from the people in order to spend another billion you know so we're asking you to dissolve parliament uh and put it to the people put it that's how you could spin it you know that's how you could spin that's just one example of how you could spin it okay yeah fair enough i mean if if that if that's the case i it would be it would behoove them to have an election in the spring for sure so if they can make it happen on their own then hell yeah because they would they would win because there's 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 nothing that uh, is sticking in the media cycle in terms of negativity towards trudeau other uh, just nothing worked we scandal uh lost steam for various reasons um it's all pandemic so and if that's if it's in the spring that's going to be our our numbers will be low They'll be declining. Yeah, our vaccinations will be rising, and people will overall give uh, Trudeau uh, a pass, a passing grade for for his work. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, if they can make it happen, they will, and they'll if they can make it happen, they'll uh, they'll get lots of seats. Yeah, I wonder, Coleman. Let me just put surprise to you question. Do you think if there is a if there is election, we've laid out that you know three fourths of us, I guess, think that there will be. What do you think the CPC, like Aaron O'Toole, what is his what is his play? What is his strategy? How does he like counter the the wave of Trudeau love uh, in terms of the pandemic response? Like because like Steve just alluded to, nothing seems to stick. What do you do? Um, personally, I don't think he does. Like I just don't. <laughs> I don't see I don't think like Aaron O'Toole's a bad guy as far as conservative leaders go I think he's 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 reasonable but like Trudeau's a a very very good campaigner and Aaron O'Toole's just a white dude he looks like a guy that worked at home hardware like how do you like what do you do like I there's no answer well, you could attack I, the 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 carbon tax the the hike in the carbon tax I don't know yeah, yeah but right. that doesn't that that doesn't give them the votes that they, they don't give them the the support that they need to pick up and from the liberals specifically I don't think you're gonna take votes from the liberals on ca- campaigning on a carbon tax um I think and of course is going back shambolic means chaotic disorganized or mismanaged I knew that. I just wanted so the rest of the listeners know that that's what it means. Thank um, you. So we've been using that word a lot. Um, Probably yeah, Aaron the title of this episode. 
It's good. I thought Jizz on a Couch <laughs> would be a good title, but this is not my too. Um, he just keeps saying it. He just keeps yeah, saying I'm, it. I'm going to keep – one of these is going to sneak through the censors. You can't – you can't it's get them all. Even, Brad. If you uh, Jizz on a, on a plastic cover on a couch, that's the opposite of shambolic, all right? Mm. It's very targeted, managed. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a man. Required <laughs> foresight. And, yeah. like, Brad's going to try and take all these Jizz on a Couch references out, but – what we know about jizz is sometimes it sneaks through, even if you do everything you can to prevent it. <clears throat> yeah, but my back to Aaron. That. Oh yeah, the existence Seriously. of my four-year-old can speak to that. <laughs> well, let's hope back he to, never hears this. <laughs> uh, back to Aaron O'Toole. <laughs> um, the guy, like I say, I don't know really how you attack Trudeau right now. He's been kind of I've I've been interested. He's kind of made a legitimate play for working class votes, like yeah. an actual, like, like some O'Toole. vaguely, yeah, some vaguely pro union statements coming out of the O'Toole camp, which is pretty interesting coming from the Harper era of conservatives. But like they, I could see a situation. I kind of agree that there most likely will be an election in the spring, but I also think there's a chance that the liberals don't bother if they put their budget up, the conservatives can make a big play about how terrible this is and then just not have a certain, what are, there's a specific term for it. When you just don't have MPs show up for the vote abstaining, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not even abstaining, just like not present. Yeah. And then you can let it sneak through that way. I could see that happening. If and then it, maybe the liberals don't try and push their luck. They just keep a minority government. I don't know. I haven't seen the polling. They might be in majority territory, but I also kind of think that Justin Trudeau is going to, eventually campaign on a universal basic income and that's his big campaign deal. And if that's the case, I really, I don't see the conservatives beating him in any fashion. I just don't see it happening. Really? I don't think, and I don't, I don't think they have a, and say like, not to bash Aaron O'Toole. I don't think they have a leader really that a can't like a prospect that could really go against Trudeau right now. Yeah. He does have a lot of goodwill. And I think it's like the pandemic, um, in a lot of ways helped him because if we were talking, you know, for a whole nother year about uh, spending and not with this guise of, Hey, we all need this money. And the spending was a good thing. Uh, it could be, you know, it could be a very different situation. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what the conservatives do. And I'd be curious as to whether the liberals, yeah, do just ride out a minority because at this point it also does feel like, who wants to bring them down? It doesn't really behoove anybody to bring them no. down. The ND- no. Like, is- <clears throat> no, they don't want to. But here's the thing. Uh, if I could vote for the guy who helped me out at Home Depot last night for prime minister, I would. So to say... You can. You can. <clears throat> Aaron O'Toole is running in this election. Uh, that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> I perhaps would vote for him. Uh, especially if you knew lots about electrical panels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because you need to get the right switch. You can't just get any fucking switch. It's the electricity of your home. My God. Yeah. Um, And so here's the other thing. Uh, If there is an election, we all know that between now and then, Justin Trudeau is going to do something fucking stupid. Probably (laughs) one or two things. They probably have already happened, and we just don't know about them. Agreed. 100% agreed. Yeah, and so there might be. He some will have been there. vacationing with the Aga Khan uh, in a COVID hotspot 
this whole time. For sure. In yes. blackface. <laughs> and so there's that. But then Or the, a Castro. I don't know. One of the two. Could be. <laughs> he had Castro face on. Yeah. Uh, it turned out that he, he recorded a parody rap album entirely in blackface and using some very offensive uh, accents as well. And he, he went full method actor. He went full method full, actor. Full method actor. <laughs> So the thing that the conservatives are going to use, we don't know about yet, but it's going to be there. And the the other thing is, is I, like, ethically, I disagree with calling an election in the spring just to suck up your majority. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I mean, elections are expensive, first of all. So if you're doing that just to ask people to spend more money, to spend money, to spend more money, I mean, you can you're going to spend that money – in put it in your budget and then if the NDP and the uh, conservatives call you on it and say, yeah, no, we don't have confidence in this budget, then they can trigger it. But I don't want them going ahead and, and self-triggering. Yeah. And I don't um, think they will, to be honest. I don't think they'll self-trigger because they have, like you said, like they, no one's going to take them down so they can basically govern like they have a majority. And this is what Harper did too with, with his minority. He kind of, you know, well, and you're for right. sure. It's tough to force someone to take you down because either your budget has too much money in it, in which case the NDP is probably going to support you or not enough money in it, in which case the conservative party is going to support you. Um, and so how do you, you know, it's hard to come up with a budget that's too centrist for everyone so that, you know, everyone takes you down. Uh, it seems unlikely, but uh, I think you're right. As far as what does O'Toole campaign on, you know, you can't campaign on giving more money than the liberals did or spending more money. That's going to obviously turn off your conservative base. But austerity also right now is not going to be popular in the slightest, especially when interest rates are so incredibly low. And it seems like, ah, we just borrowed like $300 billion or $700 billion. I was like, ah, what's another $100 billion? You know, once the numbers get big, then... Uh, People start thinking in percentages rather than absolutes. And it's like, wow, it's only 10% more. It's only 20% more. It's, I think uh, there will be no appetite to you know, go hard austerity, nor should there be as far as um, at least the economics nerds that I follow would suggest that you know, there are times where the government needs to borrow and spend. And now's one of those times. I don't know. I'd be curious if you guys have any thoughts as to what uh other than because it seems a lot of like justin trudeau is a sort of pompous smarmy politician which he is but it doesn't seem to affect you know people still vote for him and we all we all know that by now we've heard the attacks we've seen the blackface photos none of that worked so you know where where do they go from here and i honestly don't know i don't envy being a uh, conservative strategist going into this next election yeah, mm -hmm. I think if I think, uh, if you're a, I don't want to interrupt you, Brad, but if like uh, if you're a conservative strategist, you're just thinking it's like, well, these these um, scandals just slide off Justin Trudeau like jizz off a plastic couch. Oh God, I should have not let you interrupt me. Um, <laughs> Back to you, Brad. Thank you, Coleman. Uh, I was going to say, I think. The conservatives, whether it's federally or let's go closer to home in Alberta there, uh, they are stuck in this position that they have a fractured sort of base. Because I think the way forward is to just do what the liberals do, but offer it in your brand, in your package. You know, like like you said, there's no appetite for austerity or uh, 
belt tightening really right now, but you could, you know, and the trying to oppose the carbon tax just isn't going to work. They need a car, they need a, a climate change plan. They need a plan that speaks to uh, the working people. Like you said, he's trying, O'Toole is trying to, um, you know, appeal to unions and stuff like that, but that's it. That is where the Canadian electorate is at the majority of them anyway, or at least in the places that they need to win, you know, so that's where they need to go. But O'Toole balances this with the guys like Derek Sloan and whatnot in his cabinet, where he's got to balance this and to a a growing point, uh, what's her name? Leslie Lewis, Leslin Lewis. Um, They're balancing this like really far social right, um, rhetoric driven freedom, whatever, stereotype of the right of conservatives with the sort of center right that the that the conservative parties have always been and that's going to be their challenge until they can reconcile that i yeah i don't i don't know what their their move forward is um let's move it along though do we want to do a a quick lightning round of winners and losers of the year yes Uh, no (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I will go first because otherwise Barg's, uh, you know, negative attitude is going to get infectious here. Now uh, I know who my loser is. There you go. <laughs> uh, Canadian winners and losers, honestly, just to follow on our previous topic, I was going to say Justin Trudeau's the big winner from the pandemic and the Conservative Party of Canada are the losers because I think if there's an election, which I think there will be, this is almost guaranteed a liberal majority in uh, the United States. I'm going to say the biggest winner of the year is right-wing grifters. There is The market is flooded right now. If you just go on Twitter, make up some shit about how you saw, you know, some guy in a van drop off a bunch of bags of something. And next thing you know, you're, you know, you're on Newsmax and you're, you know, you could be a celebrity. And then you start putting together a newsletter list where you got to, get money for the fight that you're engaged in that's just tweets. Um, so it's a real, real good market for the grifters right now. I think the biggest loser in the States this year would be institutional Republicans in that you see this sort of fracturing going on of like the Mitt Romneys of the world, who I think are trying to cling to this vision of the Republican Party as to what they understood it, you know, party of Reagan, party of like, you know, protecting democracy. And that's just over. I think the the latest shenanigans about the election have shown that the Republican Party has basically abandoned any commitment to the principle of democracy. And with any luck, that won't stand. And my hope is that ultimately leads to the collapse of the authoritarian wing of the Republican Party. But uh, yeah, if you were a uh, Republican who thought the party actually stood for anything other than maintaining power at all costs, you were the biggest loser in the United States of 2020. And Herman Cain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I agree on that. Herman nice Cain. Way to stick it to him. Coleman, do you want do you have a do you have a pick? Um my biggest loser of 2020, not maybe not biggest, but a group of losers is the position of issue manager within the Alberta government. These um well, well, I guess they're not really losers because they're paid very well, but there's these neckbeard Twitter troll fucks that the UCP <laughs> pays very well to just go on Twitter and make an ass of themselves. This one guy was Brian Bate, Bateson, Batman, not Batman, Bateson, 
Bateson gets paid over $100,000 a year to have basically his job is to go on Twitter and argue with people. He has a thousand followers or 1300 followers or something like that. And he just like picks these fights and he's a loser. And I, I think they, that whole, I don't know how long this issue manager thing has been a role within the Alberta government. I don't I think it's new. I think the NDP had them, but we never heard of them. I think they were mm. just in charge of putting out statements and stuff like that. I think, but that needs to go. Like it's terrible. It's awful. And the he winner Bates and his profile picture is a picture is him holding a mug with his own face on it. If you want to get a perception of what a douchebag this guy is. Yeah. I said on Twitter to toot my own horn. I said that uh, yeah. Brian Bateson is the microwave leftovers of issue managers. And it got some play. So I was pretty happy with that. Uh, the <laughs> biggest winner, the biggest winner by far is Mr. Rudy Giuliani. For making himself relevant again in 2020. The man that was a hero as mayor of New York was one of the worst presidential candidates, not candidate, but the Republican, presumptive Republican nominees ever to run. And everyone's like, we'll never hear from Rudy again. And he came back with ferocious intensity and will live in our hearts forever. So the winner by far is Rudy. the year started with the impeachment is all about Rudy. Now we're at the election stealing all about Rudy. He's really, he's managed to stay relevant all year. He's back. He's never going away. And I'm not going to make a comment about couches. All right. Thank you for that. Steve, do you have a winner, a loser? Uh, I pick myself on both counts. Good and job. No, no explanation necessary. No, I think, uh, let's see. Winner. I think Rachel Notley is uh, a big winner hmm. uh, to me coming out of this. I don't know if she rebrands uh, to step away from the NDP. I don't even really think she has to. Um, I see uh, the path for uh, her to victory is uh, forming in front of her. And uh, I believe it happens uh, through various different means in terms including uh, a total splintering of the right wing, which is what led to her uh, election in the first place. Um, it will be the independent Wild Rose Party will take votes. Kenny will be um, in shambles. He'll be shambolic. Um, and it'll, uh, I think she's going to take it again. And, and like, Here's the thing, just here's a little thought exercise for you. Imagine, if you will, Kenny loses the election, okay, but he's still the leader of the might of the um, opposition party. Do you think that guy sticks around? No, he resigns no. election. A day, two days. No. Yeah, of course. He'll stick it through the concession speech, but not yeah. much beyond that. So here's the thing with Notley. She's proven the fact that she, that she cares about Albertans mm-hmm. by sticking around. There's there's definitely opportunity for her outside of the public service to have uh, left after being thwarted in the previous election. Um. But she stuck around, um, and you know I think she, largely she did a good job, uh, and uh, I think she's going to be again the premier of Alberta in uh, in a couple years. Um, 
and maybe she'll stick this time for a couple times. Who knows? But um, in terms of the losers, listen, there's so many losers in 2020. <laughs> it's, an, it's a really unbelievable, just vast sea of loserdom. Uh, all you have to do is kind of dip your toe in it on the internet and, and you yourself become uh, a loser, if only for a moment. Um, but uh, let, I'm going to go with uh, Lynn Wood, who's had mm. some bizarre takes on uh, President, Vice President Mike Pence. Now, just to clarify, is Lynn Wood, is he part of the Trump legal team? or No, I think he's an independent crazy uh, firebrand, but okay. who gets a lot of love from Trump because he says what he wants to hear. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's right. Yes, he is. Uh, he's from Atlanta, Georgia, and he has, I believe, in the last couple of days, both said that uh, that Pe- Pence should be Mike Pence should be executed. Uh, by I also squad. by firing squad. Um, and does he? Did he tweet that uh, he was perhaps already dead and they've replaced him? Or is that <laughs> that's someone else in the conspiratorial world anyway? I don't know if it was him or not, but it, he he probably would kind of latch on to that idea as well, knowing how this dumb fucker thinks. So, uh, yeah, this, uh, this is a crazy person. I mean, it really has exposed the losers 2020, so we should be thankful for that in a certain sense. Like I know Sidney Powell is also another one of these lawyers who actually mm-hmm. did work for Trump. And uh, she was exposed as um, crazy. a crazy, a crazy <laughs> kook loser. She's a, bad a big speller loser. Also very bad speller. Well, Ooh. that's the thing with these lawyers is uh, a lot of them, Sidney Powell and Lidwood included. These are terrible lawyers. Like, uh, <laughs> is the they're just not very good at the job of lawyering and um you can toss rudy giuliani into that mix too but, uh, yeah it's it's been a it's been a bumper crop year for crazy loser lawyers hmm. in the All united right. states i i have one more winner a serious one this time uh stacy abrams is a winner this year Mm, yeah. She was uh she lost the uh was it twenty eighteen, the governor's race in Georgia. A lot of people wrote her off, wrote off her political career after that, apparently. And then she was the driving force behind the uh voter registration in Georgia that arguably allowed Biden to win the win the state and might get two Senate seats for Allegedly. the Democratic Party there. Allegedly. <laughs> But yeah, yeah she, she has a bright future ahead of her. She was one of the few winners of 2020, I would say. I that's a good point. Yeah, good good sh- good shout out there, Coleman. Because yeah, she uh, I was due by all accounts. Yeah, you you finally contributed. Uh, the uh, did a lot, a lot of the groundwork, a lot of the organizing, a lot of the stuff that like really wins campaigns. You know, a lot of the the hard work. So yeah, um, Steve to to kind of roll with what you were saying it's funny your loser pick is kind of the same people that are the winner pick for stoli one man's losers are a 
another man's winners. It depends yeah, on, like, uh, I guess, if we look like, at their bank account or their personal credibility. Lynn Wood's certainly sending out a lot of fundraising messages. That's which, right. I think it's just him posting crazy tweets. Like, how much money do you need to do that? But it turns yeah. out, I think he's getting a crazy national profile for, you know, for a legitimate crazy person. He well, he made it on our podcast. Yeah, he made it to this podcast where only the high, you know, the uh, highlights of the world make it. So that's right. Um, With this yeah, kind of discourse, I'd, what can you expect? I'd call him a big winner. I'd say he's. Uh, if your goal was to just have people to know your name and respond to your fundraising messages, then he did well. Well, part yeah. of the the overarching problem, and I'll wrap this back to what Brad said at the beginning of the uh, program, is uh, the fact that these guys are in a sense winners. Uh, makes the American education system a big, big loser. Because, uh, if they, <laughs> the biggest loser. That might be the biggest loser of all of uh, 2020. And uh, it's really sad to say because it really shouldn't be that way. But uh, the, the, the fact that these utter morons can get anything more than uh, basically sued into oblivion when they start spouting off their their insane uh bullshit and they have people listening to them they have an audience a paying audience uh means that those people are truly stupid so mm. all right well let me uh let me jump on that i'll give you my real quick uh winners and losers and then we'll move on to one last segment uh real quick the losers, I think, big loser of the year, uh, kind of with the same character that you were just talking about there, Steve, is the truth. The truth took a hit. A lot of a uh, lot of lying going on out there. A lot of a lot of conspiracy theories getting run. A lot of QAnon. I saw a article the other day where an Ipsos poll and someone else, I think NPR, uh, did a poll, and only th- I think it was an astonishing like thirty-seven percent of Americans couldn't totally disagree with the statement that satanic pedophiles run the media and the government. It's disturbing. Uh, Real quick then, biggest winner, total four seasons, total landscaping? They got to be the biggest winner of the year, right? Mm, Yes, I agree. They're cashing in on some merch, merch, right? Uh, As far as boosting your brand recognition, they might be the only people above Lynn Wood in 2020 as who really came from obscurity to, uh, you know, if I'm in Philadelphia and I need landscaping, that's obviously who I'm going to call. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want quality wood, you go to you go to Four Seasons. That's where you go. You definitely don't go to Lynn. Um, And speaking of. Four seasons, the infamous uh, press conference. Steve's shaking my head, shaking his head at me. Didn't like that one. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with uh, Coleman. You wanted to do your your main man, Rudy Giuliani. Yes. Was his his best moments of the year? Yes, the uh, inaugural Honest Coleman's award for Rudy Giuliani moment of the year. <laughs> I've narrowed it down to four. <laughs> And final. I'm not sure Rudy sees the end of 2021, to be honest. But we'll Rudy see. will Rudy will never die. The sun will never set on the Giuliani empire. I'm here to tell you. But I've narrowed it down to four, which is difficult because there is a lot. The man there was a lot. Busy. So I will give you the four options, and then 
There's three of you. We'll figure out some sort of voting system. We'll we'll figure this. We're fine tuning this process. Number one, these are not chronological order. Number one is having his hair melt during a press conference on voter fraud and having the live stream comment or the the men running the live stream comment that he was sweating through his hair dye on YouTube. Number two is the Four Seasons Landscaping press conference, which is a, everyone knows about that. We just talked about it. A good cover for accidentally booking the wrong venue for a uh, very important press conference after an election. Number three is farting multiple times during a hearing on (laughs) voter fraud in Michigan. And he, he left no doubt. Fart once on on Mike, and it's like, well, that could have been a lot of things. Fart, fart multiple times, he made it sure, confirmed it. And last but not least, adjusting his penis while trying to sleep with a Russian reporter during the filming of Borat 2. <laughs> uh, this is it's kind of tough because these are even just I'm trying to think back of Rudy Giuliani moments uh, from earlier in the year. I mean, these are all these are new, fair, fairly recent. Yeah. Uh, and I can't even think of any because there's just been it's just been a deluge. Um, I got to go with farting. <laughs> you know, fart, 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 you can never fart go wrong once, with farting. That's right. Mm. Fart once, shame on me. Fart twice. You know, I'll never fart again. I think that's how President Bush said it. Yeah. So it's a good we got one have to, uh, I'm going to have to go with Borat. Like watching that movie, I was so viscerally uncomfortable for much of it, but also just trying not to like wake my whole family up laughing my ass off. So, uh, and that, yeah, that scene is so incredibly cringe inducing but just so perfect. All of the stars that had to line up for that moment to come together was just an incredible achievement in filmmaking. And also, yeah, just made my skin crawl. So uh, well done, Borat. Okay, before we get to Barg, I'd like to point out that before we started recording, I mentioned that I was going to do this, and Scott was 100% in on farting. So that tells me that Broody's been up to so much that he forgot (laughs) that Borat happened. (laughs) <laughs> i did forget about the borat you forgot thing. all and that should have been the like the obvious one but anyway to you bark sorry to interrupt you listen i i love all these moments i i want to make a a mixed tape just to <laughs> put it on a cassette so i can keep it forever uh of all the rudy moments um honorable mention also for him to uh bring out the drunk witness uh and here's the thing i forgot forgot about the drunk witness when i was putting this list together that's how busy he was (laughs) melissa carone melissa carone there it is uh, allegedly uh purportedly drunk witness uh at the election fraud hearing um and he listen this is one of those ones where it was so nuts that she was so nuts that Rudy himself was trying to stop her. So that was maybe even a rare moment was of the same uh, one. sanity for Rudy. But I, 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 just the fact that he had someone juxtaposed next to him that made him appear to be sane uh, was truly a delight. 
So uh, but of all the moments, it's got to be Four Seasons uh, <laughs> speech, all the networks. He's he's told that the election's been called during his speech and uh, he proceeds uh, which network called it all of them. Oh, all of them. All the networks. It was uh, hey, networks don't decide elections. Courts <laughs> decide elections. Like, yeah, wow, people, old yeah. time people would have said voters decide elections, but you know yeah. that. Yeah, well, I like in that, was, in that, uh, in that press conference when, when he looks at the camera, he's like, "Do you think we're idiots? Do you think we're dumb?" It's like, "Yes, Rudy. Yeah, yes." Yeah. Let's also uh, point out that he brought out to speak at that conference a uh, convicted sex offender. So let's not forget that. Okay, so to tally the votes. Well, I mean, there's there's not that big a difference between convicted sex offenders and unconvicted sex offenders. (laughs) They all look the same. Maybe maybe Rudy just wanted like a supporter. The media doesn't doesn't decide who's a sex offender. The courts decide who's a sex mm. offender. <laughs> Maybe so we should vote. If Rudy is a sex offender, I think the, it would be yes. So to recap, Probably we, have one, yes. we have one vote for farting during a voter fraud hearing. We have one vote for Four Seasons Landscaping press conference. And we have one vote for adjusting his penis while trying to sleep with a Russian reporter during the filming of Borat 2. And I'm, I'm proud to announce I have the tie-breaking vote that we have a four-way tie because I'm voting for melting during a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> Leaking oil yeah. from his brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I like this. That encapsulated Rudy perfectly because that's how hot he was running all year. That he was right. melting through his hair on TV. God bless you, Rudy. May you live a thousand years. <laughs> there you have it i don't think it you you really couldn't pick one moment to win um all right folks that's it let's wrap this up thank you gentlemen uh for this rather spicy episode uh but i enjoyed it happy holidays uh happy new year and uh we'll see you all next time see you, see you later brad. thank you brad Can I say one more thing? Follow Lionel. Can I say one more thing? Let's get a plug in here quick. Um, follow Lionel Steele, like you said, and everyone be safe. Keep the covers on your couch and the jizz off those oh, covers. God. Good night, everyone. <laughs> All right. See y'all, guys. <laughs> just, just out. Doesn't want anything to do with us. <laughs>